Friends, today we're starting a new series throughout the month of October. Um, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. If you don't have a uh, set of sermon notes, uh, would you raise your hand and the ushers will make sure to give you one. Um, we're beginning a new series through the month of October. Um, it is not, this is not a church history series. This is a series on the Bible. It's an expository series where we're going to look at different passages of the Bible, but we're going to remember that the Lord works in history, and we are a part of it. I can be accused of loving Martin Luther too much. This is not a series on Martin Luther, although we're going to see that the Lord works through flawed, sinful, broken men and women and accomplishes his purposes in history because history ultimately belongs to him. So, let me encourage you now to turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, and that's our sermon text for today. This is the word of the Lord. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It was October 31st, 1517, and an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther wrote up 95 theses. 95 statements for theological discussion and nailed it to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Many of his theses were aimed criticisms at the Catholic Church for their practices and teachings that he believed were not in agreement with biblical Christianity. From the doctrine of purgatory to the selling of indulgences, Luther wanted to reform the Catholic Church. But this simple act put in motion one of the most important events in the history of the Western world, the Protestant Reformation. Although this movement began, began almost unaware, it started a major transition in the history of the world and in the history of Christianity. From an era of a thousand years of darkness, known today as the Dark Ages, to an era of light. With the recovery of the true gospel that was obscured by dogmas and popes and all kinds of extra-biblical concepts, it dominated the church. And also, a reestablishment of true biblical worship, the Latin phrase, post-tenebras lux, indeed, describes this movement well, out of darkness, light. This movement is still going on today. As a matter of fact, 
This movement is happening right now. It is happening as we gather to worship and have a proper view of the worship of God. It is happening as we gather to hear the true gospel, undefiled. We are a part of this movement. movement. This is our history. So throughout the month of October, we're going to consider our history, the history of the Reformation, in light of Scripture. One of the most central words that came out of the Reformation is the word sola. Sola simply means only or alone. The Catholic Catholic Church was happy to affirm the authority of Scripture, the necessity of grace, the importance of faith, the centrality of Christ, and the glory of God. But the Reformers fought and died to add just these simple four letters alone. That makes all the difference. The five solas of the Reformation are the five pillars or the five pillar doctrines the reformed affir- the reformers affirmed and along with them we too affirm them sola scriptura scripture alone has authority over us sola gratia grace alone saves sola fide faith alone leads us grace. Solus Christus, it is Christ, in Christ alone are we reconciled with the Father. Soli Deo Gloria, all things take place for the glory of God alone. As Protestants, we affirm that Scripture alone teaches us that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. And all this amounts to the glory of God alone. At the heart of the Reformation, there was a return to the sources, ad fontes, a return to the fountain of revelation, to the fountain of authority, a return to Scripture as the sole authority over every aspect of the Christian life. So we're going to consider today a passage out of 2 Timothy 3. The book of 2 Timothy is Paul's appeal in his advanced age or in his nearness to death to his young disciple Timothy to carry on the message of the gospel that was first entrusted to him. That is the heart of 2 Timothy. He writes... This book, knowing that his time on earth was nearing the end, so he says, says these words, so important. In what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful 
men who will be able to teach others also. Friends, this verse right here is the cycle of church history. One generation teaching another the mysteries of the gospel. Church history has been built on a long structure of generational discipleship. And it is because this structure is still at work today that you and I have come to know Jesus. It is because this structure is in place today still that you and I have been saved. One generation teaching the mysteries of the gospel to another. So we turn today to our passage in 2 Timothy. As Paul instructs his young pupil, this is one of the most important passages in the Bible about the Bible. The Bible is God's authoritative word for us so we can live out, live our lives today, this very day, filled with righteousness and hope. So we're going to consider first the nature of Scripture. Paul begins the passage saying, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Paul coins a term here that had never been used before in any Greek literature, biblical or non-biblical. He says that all Scripture is theopneustos, meaning God-breathed, or as many of our translations would put, inspired by God. This is a high view of Scripture. Scripture is what comes out of the mouth of God as God breathes. Scripture comes out. In other words, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Inspiration refers to the source, the origin of Scripture. Scripture finds its origin in God. Scripture comes from God. So if God is perfect, okay, if God is perfect, His Word is perfect. If God is holy, His Word is holy. If God is trustworthy, His Word is trustworthy. If we must obey God, we must obey Scripture. As Protestants, we don't look for the source of God's Word in men. We have no pope, prophet, bishop, or any ecclesiastical figure that speaks on behalf of God. Not even a pastor, myself, holds such authority. My words or any man's words are only authoritative if they rightly explain the words of God, the Bible. Authority rests on the right teaching and right explanation of scripture friends we don't preach this book sunday after sunday and model our lives after it day after day because we like ancient hebrew narratives or because we have received it as family or as cultural tradition friends this book 
the 66 books contained in it shapes our lives because these are the very words of God. God has spoken. Therefore, we hear. Now, did you notice the three-letter modifier in the beginning of this verse? This verse is not saying that Scripture is breathed out by God. The verse is not saying that some Scripture is breathed out by God. This verse is not saying that much of Scripture or most of Scripture is breathed out by God. No. The Apostle tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Scriptures don't simply contain the Word of God. They are, in their totality, in their totality the Word of God. We have no right to decide for ourselves which parts of the Bible we accept as from God and which parts of the Bible we reject. Either this is all God's word or none of it matters. That is what we buy into when we become Christians. Recently I met a man who told me that his Christianity was comprised only of the words of Jesus called himself a red-letter Christian. There was no red ink in the original manuscripts, by the way. And that's a problematic position. Why? Because Christ himself believed all of Scripture. So if we believe Christ, we believe what he believed. If Jesus is God, he is right. And if he is right and we believe him, we take it all. Jesus said, all of Scripture's. Moses, the prophets, Psalms, the writings, they all attest to me. He tells the Pharisees, you don't believe Moses because if you believed Moses, you believe me because Moses wrote of me. You cannot take Jesus and not take the Bible. You cannot take Jesus and not take his word. Scriptures attest in its entirety, to Christ. He believed that. Therefore, we believe that. Friends, not everyone accepts Scripture as being from God, right? But what are the reasons why people reject Scripture as inspired by God? Well, I thought of three reasons. There may be more, but I thought of three reasons that may help us think. And, and really, these three reasons should put us all at a place of relationship with God's Word. Okay? And so these three reasons that I'm about to put in front of you, uh, we're all in them somehow, some combination of them. So I'm not putting this in front of you so you can think, oh, so-and-so rejects Scripture this way, so-and-so rejects Scripture this way. No, I'm asking you, are you rejecting Scripture in this way? I'm asking you to evaluate your own relationship with the Word of God. First, Scripture is rejected in, on the level of ignorance. In this category, I think of Christians who need to grow in their knowledge of the Word. Christians who need to be discipled. I didn't know the Bible required this of me, but now that I do, I will pursue it. Ignorance is replaced with information, and that information then propels us to obedience. When I was 15, I remember 
having a sleepless night, and being concerned about my spiritual state. I was a believer. I had been saved, but I was seeing very little fruit in my life. I woke up my brother, and I said, I've had these concerns. My brother talked to me, examined my heart, saw evidence of faith, saving faith in Christ, and he said to me, you need to know John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. My brother told me, if you want to grow in holiness, you must know the word of God. Friends, my relationship with Scripture completely changed after that interaction. The Lord worked in such a way that my ignorance of how God works in sanctification through His Word was fixed. And I understood the purpose of flooding our minds and hearts with the Word of God. I didn't know the Bible required this of me. A true Christian, when confronted with the teachings of Scripture, respond with faith and submission. Friends, we need more and more in our churches a culture where we overcome biblical ignorance through intentional biblical discipleship. Let us spend time with one another, teaching one another to obey all that Christ has commanded us. But Scripture can also be rejected on an intellectual level. And by intellectual here, I don't mean a higher intelligence. I mean a rejection of truth claims. I simply don't believe the Bible is true. Oh, friend, if you are in this category, can I simply encourage, to do, encourage you to do one thing? Can I encourage you to pick up the Bible and read it? God has written a book and given it to you, and I truly believe that if you pick up the Bible, if you pick up this book and start reading it with an honest heart, praying and expecting God to reveal Himself to you, you will find in this words life. You will come to recognize that the reason why you've rejected this book is because your soul is dead spiritually. But God gives life through His Word. You heard it read this morning. It does not come back empty. It accomplishes its purpose. So finally, we can also reject the Bible on a moral level. This is probably the most dangerous, deceptive, stealth kind of rejection. This rejection keeps people in the pews, but it keeps them out of heaven. I know the Word of God requires that I live in a certain way, but I will live my way instead. I know that God requires that I sacrificially lay down my life for my own wife, but I will live for myself instead. I know that God requires me to completely rid my heart of all lust, but I'll look at pornography instead without putting up a fight for my life. I know that God requires me to bridle my tongue, but I will gossip instead and foster a fertile ground for clicks and slander. Friends, we sin. We're sinners redeemed by grace. But the pattern in the life of a Christian is one of repentance. Continually turning 
to Christ, saying, Lord, change me. Lord, rid me of the sin that so that clings so closely. Let us be a people of the book, not only in word, but in deed. God has given us a manual for flourishing in life. He knows us and He knows what we need. And that we need and what we need, He knows so much better than we ourselves know. Ask yourself today, Lord, where in my life am I rejecting the authority of your word? Lord, how do I need to grow in Christ's likeness? Lord, where is the sin that once enslaved me, still clinging so closely? How must I forsake it today? Well, let's consider now the profitability of Scripture. Now that we've established the nature of Scripture, let, let's consider how scripture, what Scripture does. We've considered what, what Scripture is. It is breathed out by God. What, now, what does it do? It gives us a profit. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So when we say that something is profitable, we mean that if we invest in it, it will yield, yield a reward. We saw this very clearly in 2020, right? Certain things and products that were not very profitable suddenly became highly profitable. I mean, you want imagine how profitable 2020 was for Zoom, right? We, we, all, we all did it, right? We were all there. We were all using it. And just a few months before that, we had no idea what Zoom was. But suddenly, we used it so much that we became zoomed out. And today, this product has lost its profitability. Now, I would say, I would believe that you would agree with me that most of us would pay not to use Zoom ever again, right? Well, that's true of so many things. That's true of masks, hand sanitizers, delivery systems, temporary profits. But the Word of God is always profitable. As we devote ourselves to the Word of God, it produces in us a reward of eternal life. We read this earlier. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, and, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. Do you see that? God breathed. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying, when my word goes forth, it works. When my word is proclaimed, it works. The, the, the picture that we get from, from the prophet Ezekiel is a valley of dry bones. As a picture of the people of God. 
and, and, and Ezekiel was told by God, prophesy, speak my words, and what will happen to these dry bones? They will become alive. Friends, spiritual life only takes place when God's word is proclaimed, when the gospel is upheld, when the new birth is emphasized, the necessity to be regenerated by the Spirit. And this is what Sola Scriptura reminds us. This is why at Central Baptist Church, we seek to make the word of God the centerpiece of our individual and corporate lives. This is why week after week, I work hard to deliver the word of God with you to you. And my goal is precision. Why? Because God's word is precise. I want to get God's word to you rightly because in it there is eternal life. My personality will never convince you. God's word will. We shape and saturate our services with the Word of God. We preach the Word of God, seeking to understand what God is saying in the Bible. As individuals, we prize and prioritize private devotions. We instruct our families to practice family devotions so that the Word of God will penetrate the hearts of our children and they will experience life. We are a Word-filled church because we believe the Word of God is the only means by which we can come to know God and receive from Him life eternal. John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, that's Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Nothing is more profitable, friends, than clinging holding on fast, abiding in the words of Christ. May we lose the entire world and receive the words of Christ. But how is the word profitable? Well, look at the text. Scripture is profitable for four things. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. These four words are coupled in two different ways. Positively, Scripture teaches and trains. This means when we don't know what to do, Scripture informs us of what is right and equips us to do it. Not only does Scripture instruct us in the way of truth, but it also trains us to walk in it. You know, you know as a music teacher, right, taught music for 14 years, I know exactly what this means, right? Because sometimes you get those students that love to show up for the private lesson, but when they go home, that instrument stays in the case the whole week, right? I had a student once, he was about four. I remember him very clearly, vividly. I taught him, gosh, probably almost 20 years ago. I remember him. Um, he would not train. He would want to be taught, but he would not want to train. And I spoke to his mom, and I said, you know, your son is not practicing at home. He is not profiting from the lessons. And the mom told me, well, I'm just glad for him to spend time with you during the week. Friends, that student went on to take lessons for one semester and never again. 
because he wanted to receive the teaching, but he did not want the teaching to shape him, to train him. The Word of God does that. So friends, when I'm preaching to you, when I'm exposing the Word of God to you, my goal is that word, is that, that Word would go so deep in your heart that you would inform the way you live your life. I may preach Sunday morning, but Monday morning, you ought to be applying this Word to you. That's what it means to teach and to train. The Word shapes us. The Word informs us of how we ought to live our lives. But negatively, Scripture reproves and corrects. This means when we do what we shouldn't do, Scripture informs us of what is wrong and enables us to change. Not only does Scripture reprove us, when we're walking down the wrong path, it redirects us to the right path. Now, this process is progressive. We're not to flip through the pages of the Bible looking for that one verse that is going to just put our lives together. No. There is great profit in time well spent in scripture it is by saturating our thoughts day in and day out submerging our minds in the truths of god's word day by day that we change sometimes christian change is on the spur of the moment most often christian change is slow and progressive it is by sitting under faithful expository preaching week after week that we start seeing the process of sanctification, that the scriptures work in our hearts, bearing fruit. Do not overestimate what you can learn from one sermon. Do not underestimate what you can learn from a thousand that are seeking to faithfully explain the word of God. You know, sometimes... I have a lot of books. Some of you may understand what that means. Sometimes I look at my books and I wonder, why did I get this book? Why do I even have this book? So if you ever go into my office and you see some titles that you wonder, why is it there? Don't worry, I'm asking the same question. One of the books that I found once, it was probably somebody just gave me a, a bunch of books and I kept that one. I found once in my, in my, in my library was a book entitled, Have a New Kid by Friday. How to Change Your Child's Attitude, Behavior, and Character in Five Days. Now, if anybody has parented for more than a week, you know that this is baloney. That's not how change takes place, right? Friends, we cannot overestimate how quickly we're able to often change, but we are not to underestimate the continual intake through, through so many avenues of God's Word. So how should we intake God's Word? Well, there are many ways. You know, my wife loves to open up the Bible early in the morning, sit there with her journal, and read and journal. That's a great way. I love to use the phone app. Because in the phone app, I have my notes always in front of me, and I'm able to interact with other people. Uh, the Bible app and the phone. Uh, interact with other people. Uh, sometimes even do Bible readings together with other people and do discipleship in that way. Is one way right and the other one wrong? No. 
No. Uh, some people like to listen to the Bible. That's a gift. You know, that's what the early church did. Literacy in the ancient Roman world was about 5% in the population. Most people could not read. So that's why Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. That's why we read Scripture in our service. Is there a right way to intake God's Word in a wrong way? Well, in general, if you are reading and hearing the Word of God, well, that's good. Keep doing it. And as the Lord helped me do this better, all the more. Friends, and what is the result of this scripture saturation? It is righteousness. You see that in the text? The scripture is profitable for all these things unto righteousness. Right living. A life that is ever being shaped by the word of God is a life that is always growing in displaying the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, how has scripture changed your life lately? What are some of the things that you used to do that you're no longer doing that has taken place because the Bible has brought you to conviction lately? The bulk of our Christian change must not be in the beginning of our walk with Christ. Is Scripture changing us today? Are we changing our thinking? Are we changing our attitude today because we're growing in the knowledge of God's Word? How is Scripture instructing and training you? Perhaps more importantly, what are areas in your life that Scripture is reproving you and correcting you? Have you changed lately because you've read the Bible? Christians don't simply believe what they believe because they always believed it. Christians believe what they believe because they are constantly being shaped by the Word of God. Friends, we can't expect the Word to shape us unto righteousness if Scripture reading is not a significant part of our daily lives. We can't say we desire to live lives that honor God and ignore the facts that He is actively speaking to us today through His Word. Daily time in Scripture is indispensable for the Christian, and for the process of sanctification. But friends, not only is Scripture able to teach us to live righteous lives, but Scripture is also able to lead us to the righteousness of Christ. Just one verse earlier, in 2 Timothy 2, 15, Paul is speaking to Timothy and reminds him and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, scriptures are the source of righteousness that justifies of righteousness that saves and redeems. It is in Scripture that we meet the gospel. It is in Scripture where we hear the message that is able to change our course from eternal damnation to eternal salvation. It is in Scriptures where we are able to be made wise for salvation. 
Friends, it is Scripture that tells us of how deserving we are of the wrath of God because of the sins that we have committed against Him. Scripture indicts all of us. There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. All of humanity is indicted in this book. Every effort that we can make to justify ourselves are shattered by this book. Every effort that we can make or every faith that we can put in ourselves to be right with God are destroyed in this book. But also in this book, we're told of a righteousness that is available for us that the reformers would call the alien righteousness. One righteousness that is not born in us, that is not created within us. It is a righteousness that is born outside of us. That is the righteousness of Christ because of his perfect obedience, because of his death on the cross, because of his burial and resurrection. He received righteousness from the Father to give, or he accomplished righteousness and he gives it to us that's what he said before he was baptized was it not it is necessary that i accomplish all righteousness why why does jesus accomplish righteousness because we don't so the righteousness of christ is given to us by faith not by works Not by anything that we do, but by everything that Christ has done. Have you understood this message from the Word of God? Has this message transformed you? Have you come to embrace the gospel? Are you made new in Christ? Have you been saved? Friends, we must not sit in these pews week after week and assume the gospel. We must know the gospel. We must know the work of Christ. We must know what he's done on our behalf. And we must believe it. We must receive it. And when we do, friends, the righteousness that is necessary for us to see God is given to us. This is at the heart of biblical teaching in the teaching of the Reformation. Praise God for that. Not only that, but also Scripture is sufficient. So let's consider that briefly. Christians most often undermine the authority of Scripture not when embracing doctrines like inspiration and inerrancy. No, Scripture is most often rejected on the level of its sufficiency. Sure, the Bible should inform how we think about God, church, Yes, we need the Bible in order to know God's plan of salvation, the gospel. When it comes to my personal life, the Bible, the Bible shouldn't have anything to do with that, right? Should the Bible dictate how, how we think of marriage? Should the Bible dictate how we raise our children? Should, Bible, should the Bible dictate how we think about work and vocation? Should the Bible influence how I vote? Should the Bible influence how I think of vacation and rest? 
Should the Bible influence how I plan for retirement? Should the Bible influence how I live out retirement? One of my friends came to faith after hearing the gospel about 10 years ago. After embracing progressive positions for his entire life, he heard a sermon on the sanctity of human life and came under conviction that the pro-abortion position is wicked and sinful. After hear, hearing that sermon, he said this, I guess once you become a Christian, every area of your life has to change. That's right. Friends, that's right. That's what the Lord is calling us to. Not to be Sunday morning Christians, but to live out our Christian life in every aspect of our lives. To let the light of Christ shine into our hearts and transform us so that we don't follow society, so that we don't follow tradition, but so that we follow Christ and His Word. Before we were our own morality, now the Word of God teaches us what is right and wrong in every aspect of our lives. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped to every good work. Friends, the world has an agenda for your mind. And it is not the agenda of God. The world wants to push a narrative for your life. We have seen this so clearly, especially lately, haven't we? The world attempting to teach us that our greatest problems are systems of oppression and oppressed, leading us to a victimization mentality. The world trying to divide us through wokeism and critical race theory. And yet the word of God says that our greatest problem is not outside of us. Our greatest problem is within us. And sin still lives very strongly in our hearts. The world attempting to push a non-gender binary narrative where the beautiful distinctions between men and women that God has given us, has gifted us, are considered evil. And yet the word of God says, in the image of God, he created him. That's good. And what does that mean? Male and female, he created him. The world has an agenda for your mind. The world has an agenda for your children. And it is not the agenda of God. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the element, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Friends, the words of Christ are enough. They're sufficient. They should inform every aspect of our lives. Friends, if we detach our thinking from Scripture, even just partially, we will fall into great folly. But we believe the Word of God speaks and informs every aspect of our lives. And if we live our lives in light of it, we'll be complete and equipped to do that which God has called us to do. Five years after the nailing of the 95 Theses to the door in the castle church at Wittenberg, 
Martin Luther was summoned to an official, official church gathering called the Deity of Worms. There, he was expected to recant his positions against the authority of the Pope and the authority of the Catholic capital C church. His response, unless I am convicted by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or its councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Luther went on to be excommunicated from the Catholic, capital C, church, and yet his faith in the authority of God's word alone grew. He went on to translate the Bible to the German language, making the word available to all. And friends, this newfound devotion to the word, to the reading of the word, to the proclamation of the word, shed great light on a people who for, who over, who for over a millennium had walked in darkness, in complete ignorance of what God says in his word. Friends, sola scriptura is a reminder to us that we have a God who speaks. And the words that come out of his mouth will forever be our only standard of faith and righteousness. Would you pray with me? Lord, how we need to trust you more and more. How we need to stand firm on your word. Father, we recognize that we're often doubtful, faithless. But Lord, we know that you give faith. Help us, Lord. Help us be Christians who live out our faith. Not only Sunday morning, but day in and day out. Obeying every word from Scripture. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, at this moment, I'm going to invite the deacons to come forward. One of the things that Scripture instructs us to do is to observe the Lord's Supper. So we're going to observe the Lord's Supper today together. This is a memorial table where we remember Christ, where we remember his sacrifice in our behalf, his broken body. Gentlemen, you may, you may be seated. Uh, his, his broken body and his blood that was spilled for us. This is a family table where we're reminded we are one in Christ. This is a table that reminds us of the necessity for us to live well with one another. This is a table that reminds us of the necessity for us to live believing the gospel and practicing its principles as well. Friends, this table is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves and, and to ask ourselves the question, where are we holding on to sin so that we may confess it to the Lord and repent? Uh, this is an opportunity for Christians to say, I am turning to Christ every day. I am turning to Christ constantly. 
If you're a guest with us, we're so thankful you're here. But if you're not trusting in Christ for the salvation of your soul, and if you're not trusting in Christ for your hope of eternal life, we will respect you if you let these elements pass from you. If you are holding on to sin and not repenting, we would also ask that you would pass, the ele- let the elements pass. But we would encourage, if you are in Christ, that you would repent right now and trust in Him. Friends, if you're visiting us and you are a baptized believer trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome to this table. We would encourage you and we're happy for you to, to share this meal with I'm going to ask now the deacons to please stand. And as uh, the music plays, we'll pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper.